KCSBFM Santa Barbara. This is a special presentation of the Virtual Community COVID-19 Response Town Hall, which took place on Monday, September 28th at 3 p.m. The event was presented by UCSB Associated Students Executive Vice President of Local Affairs, with panelists from the County of Santa Barbara, Student Health, Associated Students, 3rd District County Supervisor Joan Hartman, SB City College, the Isla Vista Community Services District, and the UCSB Vice Chancellor of Student Affairs. The panel gave students and community members an opportunity to hear what is being done to mitigate the spread of coronavirus in Isla Vista, UCSB, and the SBCC communities, with attendees able to ask questions and voice concerns. Hi, everyone. Thank you all for attending our town hall. My name is Yasmin. I'm serving as the external vice president for local affairs. Our event today is going to be facilitated by Maricela, who's the executive director for AS. I'm going to be turning it over to Maricela right now. Maricela Marquez is executive director of Associated Students at UCSB. Thank you and welcome all for joining us. I want to begin with uh, a land acknowledgement. Uh, I would like to acknowledge the Chumash people who are the traditional custodians of this land. And I would like to pay respect to our elders, both past and present, as well as other indigenous people present. And I uh, want to give an opportunity, Yasmin, to introduce your office and yourself one more time. Yes, thank you. As I said, I'm the external vice president for local affairs and our office in collaboration with um, other uh, campus and community entities was able to put this event together. Um, some of our sponsors for this event include the Beloved Community, Associated Students, 3rd District Supervisor Joan Hartman's office, uh, Santa Barbara County, um, and Health and Wellness. And I just want to thank all of you for attending, whether you're a UCSB student, SBCC, or an Isla Vista community member, I think it's really important for all of us to be in one place where we're getting information from all the people who are making the all the COVID-related decisions for us right now. And uh, we can hear suggestions and ideas from everyone in the community, not just students or, you know, everyone can contribute. And as I said, um, I'm serving as the EVPLA. I'm a fourth year political science major with a labor studies minor. This year is turning out to be anything like what I expected. So um, having something like this town hall where we can all at least see each other, speak to each other and talk about the current issues that we're all facing, I think could be really important for all the students and all of our community members. So thank you all for attending again. Thank you, Yasmin. Thank you for all the panelists who have agreed to, to join us today. We will be turning the, the floor to you shortly. The structure is such that we will give you a turn to speak for about two minutes, and uh, I will be forwarding a question to you or speaking, voicing a question to you right after you finish your statement. And then at the conclusion of the entire panel, we will then open it up to, to the public and to the questions we will take one question that is for folks want us to read the question on their behalf and one question uh, from folks that want to ask the question for themselves. The speaking agreements that we have so far include the following. We invite our community to be respectful to the panelists and our audience members. After two warnings, you may be removed from, from the webinar. That is in case there is any disruption or, and or there, are, there is a need to close a session for a particular member. All the comments that are on this forum right at this moment 
are made publicly and therefore we don't assume any, we don't assume nor do we uh, expect any confidentiality from what is shared. We encourage all our folks um, to speak on issues rather than in about individual people. The panelists themselves will be asked questions by me, the facilitator, at the conclusion of their statement. And then we will open the forum up for questions from the audience at 4 p.m. We will be offering two minutes per question. With that, I wanted to first uh, introduce Margaret Clarwoon, our Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs, and invite you to uh, address our, our community. Maricela, hello, I'm Margaret Clarwoon, Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs. You would like me to talk comprehensively about the university's approach? Yep, yes, Margaret. Okay, so I'm gonna do that in partnership with Assistant Vice Chancellor and Dean of Students, Katya Armistead. So we're gonna cover two different parts of the university's response. And I think I saw Dr. Laura Polito on here, and she's also tied in with our university response. So, so I'll start. I know there's two-minute limit, so I'll be, uh, try to be focused. So um, since the pandemic started back in March, the chancellor has convened a committee that's met every day since the beginning of the pandemic to review the university's operations to bring faculty who've been involved in COVID-19 research into discussion with policymakers and the senior administrators, and also to bring in some of the deans and some of our academic colleagues in terms of the impact on the curriculum and how we're delivering our educational model. So that group meets every morning, and out of that group, we've, followed, we've developed the policies in terms of what our operation was gonna be for the spring, how we were uh, working over the summer and now where we are in the fall and are planning for winter. So every day we do a review of how many COVID-19 cases are in our community, what we know for UCSB and for Santa Barbara County. So I'm gonna let Laura talk more about that. We have planned our response in terms of both symptomatic testing and contact tracing and asymptomatic testing, which needs to be done now that we've brought a population back on campus, is going to be conducted weekly. And again, I'll let Laura say the details about that. Um, and then we've also decided what makes sense in terms of our operations, how instruction is gonna be offered, and what kind of educational follow-up we need with our whole campus community. Um, so that's the sort of scope of the effort, and that's the group that's made the decisions in terms of what UCSB um, can manage for operations and what's in the best interest of the health of our community and our population. So I think some of the pieces that Yasmin asked me to follow up um, specifically about had to do with how we're thinking about um, education for students and also how we've been trying to balance our educational messaging and also what we think makes sense in terms of a student conduct response if there are violations or if students are not following state law, county guidelines, um, and university policy. So educational messaging has come out in a, a whole, from a whole bunch of different offices, including our student health, which is an event essential service and has stayed open since the beginning of the pandemic. And then from individual offices like health and wellness, the alcohol drug program, also in coordination with beloved community and associated students. So a lot of messaging has gone out to the community. And I'm gonna to turn to Katya to talk more in terms of what students are receiving for this fall. 
But the other part of the response that has developed out of feedback from students in Isla Vista and work with the CSD and county partners and Santa Barbara City College is that our students actually wanted a way to report concerns in terms of what they're seeing in Isla Vista, someplace to report concerns. So um, over the summer, we um, developed an online reporting mechanism, and I want to thank Suzanne Perkin for a lot of work on this. Um, but students can now report concerns with behavior that they see in Isla Vista. And when it's appropriate, when we have adequate information, the university can do follow-up. So one of our uh, first efforts out of that has been a partnership with Santa Barbara City College, where we're following up when there's an address when a violation has been reported. We can do an educational warning, providing the information about what the violation was that was reported, and what follow-up would look like through both UC Santa Barbara and Santa Barbara City College in terms of our student conduct. But the first contact is to say, these are the county guidelines, here's what we believe you might have violated this past weekend, and here's what follow-up will look like, and then if there are repeat reports, we can continue down um, the path for follow-up. But we do, and I can say to students that we do have um, provisions within our code of student conduct that can be used for follow-up if there are flagrant violations. In a lot of cases, it's been more effective to provide the educational information to make sure that people know what the county guidelines are and why their behavior may be a problem. But we can follow up if you're not following um, the guidance of an official or a directive. And we can also follow up if you are endangering the health of yourself or somebody else in the UCSB um, community. So that's kind of a very big picture what the university has been involved with and if it's okay with you Maricela, I'll let Katya and Laura fill in in more detail in terms of some of the research our faculty have done developing a test that we should be able to administer on campus and get quick test results. Right now we're working with a testing company and then Katya can tell you more about the educational follow-up for all students enrolling this fall. That's great. Thank you. Pass the mic on to, to Katya at this point. Katya Armistead is Assistant Vice Chancellor and Dean of Student Life at UCSB. This is KCSB 91.9 FM. Okay, I'll be quick. Um, I did want to just follow up and to see, say that the uh, educational response, the letter signed by City, City College and UCSB has been really effective. We really haven't had a lot of repeats and any addresses where we've had maybe some repeat, actually the property managers have gotten involved. And so that has been really good. We, uh, in response to knowing that we wanted to do an educational response from the very beginning, um, we student leaders created something called a promise. And this is, looks like a pledge. And um, they developed this with the community in mind to remind students that we're in this together and, um, you know, we want to take care of one another and ourselves and our community. And so that promise is shared with this, um, with our educational model for, that we developed with EverFi that goes along with the educational models, uh, modules that all brand new students have to take. And now this one, all our students, including graduate students are taking it. They hear the, in a, the, opening video from the chancellor, from Margaret, from the students reading the promise, and then they end the educational video where they learn all about what COVID is, 
how to take care of themselves. They end it with a, a compact, which is a little bit more policy driven and the expectations and the responsibilities um, of being a UCSB student. And from there, that's where we would have more uh, grounds to follow up with students who are not following the expectations that we have for them. Wonderful. Thank you. Laura? Laura Polito is with UCSB Student Health and on the UCSB COVID-19 response team. So first, I just want to start off with just just a really short blurb about why we're doing what we're doing. Um, so the COVID-19 virus is um, sort of what we in the medical field consider like a perfect storm of viral badness. Um, it's a virus that's easily transmitted between asymptomatic or really mildly symptomatic people that can also make a certain subset of the, of the population very, very sick. Um, we also um, don't have a good vaccine and we don't have a good treatment to get rid of it. And so what we're really left with is what we call non-pharmacologic interventions. Um, and that's um, the really common things, wear a mask, wash your hands, all that kind of things. But it's also, and especially in an environment like ours, looking more and more like the evidence is showing that the real way to interrupt transmission of this disease is through high volume testing of even asymptomatic people and then contact tracing um, and isolating people who are sick so that they don't make other people sick and quarantining people who were exposed. So, um, uh, so that's where we are actually out here at UCSB. Um, just today, we started our asymptomatic screening testing program. We are doing screening testing for everybody who is on campus at UCSB once a week. And that's everybody who's living in campus housing, who's working on campus, who is attending one of our very few um, in-person classes. Um, all those people are being tested once a week, whether they have symptoms or not. We are also working on ramping up um, testing for uh, people who have symptoms here at the Student Health Center and also their close contacts. So we've got two different programs going. And then my team actually then does fairly thorough case investigation and then communicates closely with the public health department to help with the contact tracing. We are also offering um, isolation and quarantine housing on campus. We recognize the um, high density of the housing in Isla Vista and how that just lends itself to viral transmission. So those are the, um, the different aspects of the program that we have going. Um, the cost of the testing is no cost to the students at this point, the university is absorbing that cost, um, as well as the cost of the um, isolation and quarantine housing. Um, and so that's the medical mitigation program that we have going at UCSB right now. Thank you. Appreciate it. I have one question for each of you. What is the status, this is for, for, for Margaret, what is the status of winter quarter and when will the university let people know? So what we're hoping for winter is that we would be able to go ahead with the plan that we had proposed for the fall, which is that we would be mostly remote for instruction, but that we would be able to have some more activity on campus and that small classes and gatherings would be permitted as well as lab work and, and other things that could be done safely so that our lecture halls would be used at, at lower capacity. I think that we, we hope certainly to be able to communicate something about those plans um, with more lead time than we did for the fall, 
but it depends on so many factors that we'll be watching in terms of our COVID-19 rate in the county, how things develop over the course of the quarter within our UCSB um, campus community, and as we see how we make out with our fall quarter plans. So, but I will try to do a, give, provide some more lead time for winter quarter planning. Thank you, appreciate it. For Katya, is the university developing any new tools for orienting students in this time of COVID? Oh, wow. Well, we have the platform Shoreline. Um, in fact, starting at four o'clock is our first virtual organizational fair. Uh, last I checked, and this was earlier in the day, there was over 800 students who were uh, registered to attend that fair, and it's an opportunity for organizational leaders to share, share their different clubs and organizations that people can get involved with. Tomorrow is a fair um, identity fair and a cultural identity fair. I'm not sure how many have signed up for that yet, but that proves to be fruitful for people to get connected as well. And then we'll have another one probably in the next couple of weeks to get even more people involved. Um, we have a new class, Ed 20. Uh, our enrollment is probably gonna be around 300 and we are gonna use that for uh, brand new freshmen and some returning sophomores to uh, create connection and opportunities for network networking. Um, and uh, SEAL is doing a lot of different activities to get people to meet each other. So, and that's just the student life part. AS Program Board is doing some really amazing um, events. And uh, the Hub is doing events. Rexen is creating a lot of opportunities for people to meditate together, to do classes together. Health and Wellness um, has a ton of classes as well. Meditation. Um, cooking, learning to cook together. So, oh, and the MCC, I could keep going, RCSGD. So many departments are really stepping up. Uh, I can't imagine any student not have, finding something to get involved with. In fact, I was just on texting with a girlfriend, her son, she was one of my roommates in college at UCSB and her son is starting his freshman year and really concerned about him connecting. And I just connected with her today and four different things he's part of from fantasy football with UCSB students to like some other stuff. So it's, it's there for students to get involved. Wonderful, thank you. And then one question for Laura. What is the status of providing mass testing in Isla Vista? KCSBFM, Santa Barbara. So we don't yet have the capacity for mass testing in Isla Vista. So for that reason, we are actually looking at a couple of different things. Um, one of the things that we are looking at is um, something called wastewater testing, which is actually where you test the sewage coming out of buildings to try to narrow it down and do more targeted testing as to where we may be looking for the virus. Um, now we do hope, I know that Margaret um, mentioned some research that's going on on campus and there was a test developed um, based on CRISPR technology that we're hoping um, sometime in the next few months we'll be able to ramp up and do a lot more high volume testing just because it is a, a simpler process to do. Um, and we are currently waiting for um, FDA emergency use authorization on that. Um, once we have that, then we will be able to significantly ramp up testing, but unfortunately we are not quite there yet on um, screening testing in Isla Vista. Thank you. There is a follow-up question for you, Laura, uh, perhaps not surprising. Uh, which buildings will isolation housing be provided in at UCSB? If you can, if you know. So, 
I have to admit, I'm not 100% sure. I know they are going to be apartments. It's not going to be traditional residence hall style housing. Um, Margaret, do you know the answer to that? I don't have the exact answer for that either. We, I can try to find out while we go on. Wonderful, thank you. Thank you to the three of you all. I will be moving on now to our next panelist. Chris Johnson, would you please uh, unmute yourself? I want to just first of all, thank everyone for allowing um, Santa Barbara City College to be a part of this, inviting me to be that representation. Um, we actually do have a COVID response person who's our executive vice president, Pamela Ralston, who does all the response and uh, is responsible for any positive testing and things like that. So like you see, we're uh, utilizing educational response and you know, where uh, behaviors, you know, tend to, you know, ramp up or we see second, you know, second reports of anything, of violations of either social gathering or any, anything along those lines. We're issuing um, sanctions. We do a lot of training. Training has to take place over our, our website. We have uh, information that we're putting inside our educational canvas shell uh, and just trainings along those lines. We uh, work with our association in government to uh, have a correspondence that goes out to students and lets, lets those folks know. And then we also, uh, in, in great coordination with UC's office, uh, UC Office of Student Life, which I was part of for 14 years, you know, total, <laughs> total uh, you know, being uh, open about that, uh, working to outreach to students uh, who, who do hold large gatherings. And we're looking at certain just overall reports to make sure we, we are able to follow those students, again, with the educational response. Um, even though SBCC doesn't have, you know, uh, our own, uh, we have a student health office, but we're not functioning like a fully, you know, uh, hospital like you guys, uh, you'll run like a real, you know, testing center there. We work very closely with our county public health. And um, we also use a platform called Healthy Rosters, initially meant for uh, athlete, athletes, but we track our students, especially those ones coming to campus. Same thing with employees, those ones that are coming to campus. And our nurses follow up with any of those students who are coming to campus and ask them a series of questions before they're allowed to come back or if they need further testing or need to be away from the campus for a little bit. Uh, for the community, we definitely are allowing our um, community members and other students to uh, fill out something called a reporter concern form to, to honestly, you know, just let, let folks know, hey, I'm concerned about behavior at this house, I'm concerned about my roommates are doing X, Y, and Z, and I've been following students personally just to say, hey, we're asking for everybody to kind of partner and, and work on slowing down the, the speed of these things. So um, what I do is I just put a dean's hold on students' accounts. They have to meet with me. And during a meeting, we kind of go over, you know, COVID reduction edu education, you know, wear a face mask, you know, wash your hands, disinfect, uh, don't um, take part in large gatherings and things like that. Uh, for quarantine housing, we don't have housing at Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara City College. Most uh, community colleges don't, but we work very closely with our county public health office, and they are providing um, places for our students to um, to quarantine in case they are found positive. Programming, we work with our office called The Well. You guys have a well there, I know that. Uh, Center for um, Social uh, Equity and Social Justice, our association in government, and certain clubs are just doing a whole bunch of programming, education, and providing outlets for students to partner in. Hope that was in under two minutes. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. It's a little over, but I do have okay. a question for you. And first, I want to allow Katya to respond to the prior question from, from our chat box. You posted an, an answer to the prior question. Yeah, so we found out where this testing will be. Sierra, Sierra Madre, West Cottages, and Guest House. A testing, quarantine, and isolation housing. Thank you. I had testing brain. Quarantining. Quarant quarantine or isolation housing, yep. 
back to you, Chris. Thank you. Um, I was wondering if you might uh, respond to the question about uh, whether there is a new orientation process for your Santa Barbara City College campus students. A new orientation referring to COVID or just in general? The time of COVID, yes. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's an actual overall orientation, but we are working on not only education via our banner, but we are hoping to have every class. What we do is we have students who almost like, you know, all the, all the students are able to go through like a canvas shell or something like that. And that will kind of serve as an orientation for every student to at least get some, some immediate facts about how to slow the spread. So. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Turn the, the mic over to Joan Hartman next, our third district supervisor, Santa Barbara County, County Board of Supervisors. Well, thank you so much for hosting this forum. And Yasmin, you've done a terrific job. And Maricela, I'm impressed at how you've transitioned this new uh, forum, this new method, and how seamless it is. Uh, and I want to thank all the panelists and everybody watching, and especially the IV community, because the rate of COVID is going down, and we expect that there will be an announcement very soon that we have moved from the purple to the red. And that means more businesses can reopen. And a lot of that goes to the fact that everybody in the IV community feels part of that community and feels responsibility. And it's been, uh, I've been around for a while and I've never seen everybody come together in an all hands on deck way that I've seen around this. So it's, it's really extraordinary. So I just want to explain briefly about the county's role. The county has a public health officer and that doctor has primary responsibility to make sure that the state directives are implemented in our county. And so he issues public health orders and they cannot be any more lenient than what the state has, has directed. We can be stricter, but we can't be looser. Um, uh, one of the big things that we've done, I'm gonna talk about four things that we have done and then what's coming. Uh, the county has focused on a coordinated communication strategy uh, with all the stakeholders. We started with the uh, protect respect, I think I've got the mask here, mask uh, campaign and uh, have had a lot of support from the EVPLA and AS and everybody on campus. Uh, we uh, have our Office of Emergency Management that is reviewing stakeholder messaging to make sure that it's accurate, but also to respect the, the special flavor and color that people want in messaging in Isla Vista. Our Office of Emergency Management has also hired ambassadors to work in IV and reach out to businesses and people in public places as well as apartment dwellers. The second thing is we, we have a grant program for businesses uh, that's countywide, but it's partnering with the local foundation and trying to help businesses stay alive in this very challenging time. We've also uh, changed our permitting requirements so that businesses can expand into the public right-of-way and also into parking lots so that they have more room for outdoor dining and for their operations. Uh, the houseless community has been um, another focus of concern for the county. Uh, we installed a number of hand washing. There's been intensive outreach to connect people with services. Vulnerable houseless people have been uh, given accommodations through Project Room Key, and a number of them have gone on to find more permanent housing. Uh, 
since Isla Vista was identified as a hotspot, we've really intensified the coordinated messaging to discourage gatherings because these large gatherings where lots of people come together who aren't normally with each other, uh, that's what creates the, the hotbed for, um, for COVID transmission, even asymptomatic transmission. The main thing we've been doing there is that the sheriff's uh, foot patrol officers who respond, they, they will first try to educate people, but if it's a large gathering, they will break it up and then there will be letters that go to the, the house and the university or the college. So, so that's kind of what we've done with regard to gatherings. What's coming next, um, expect a testing site very, very soon in Isla Vista. Um, and I'm working with Margaret soon on this, but also we're, we want to develop a SNAP, a Student Neighborhood Ambassador Program, to hire students to work in neighborhoods to keep people safe, to educate and do everything they can for harm reduction. And my hope is that this is going to be a pilot program that we can then uh, keep going long into the future. We're eager to find more and more different ways to bring about harm reduction strategies as a means to avoid a heavy-handed approach, uh, especially on weekends. Um, I, I train horses and dogs, and there's a saying that you use as much uh, pressure as necessary, but as little as possible. And in Isla Vista, it's as little as possible that I think about most of all. The urgency ordinance, I've been asked a lot about that. Uh, right now, the consequence, the penalty from the county is, is a criminal penalty, and we certainly don't want to do that, and, and the sheriff's department doesn't either. So we're, we have an urgency ordinance that would institute fines. That was not adopted by the board, and it's something that students have asked about, and I'd love to hear what people think about that here on this call today. So as... Uh, Laura mentioned, until we have a vaccine, it's really masks and social distancing and hygiene that are our main tools. And so we're really dependent on each other to succeed. And I know that people in Isla Vista, students in particular, are there to make a difference in the world. And um, it's stepping up right now with the COVID response. And I, I just thank everybody uh, because it's, it's made a real, real difference. And did you have questions for me, Maricela? <laughs> Thank you, Joan. You actually did answer par uh, part of the question that, that I was to pose to you, except the, the mention of the timeline for that, for the or ordinance. I believe you called it the urgency ordinance. Yeah, it was brought to the board as an urgency ordinance, meaning that it would go into effect right away. However, it requires four votes. Uh, and, and it came to us without a lot of specification about when would these fines be administered and who would be administering them. So we asked for them to go and do some more work and bring it back to the board. When that happens, uh, that would be a normal procedure. That would require only three votes of the board. And uh, my, my hope that is that it would be very narrowly drawn, but it, it would be a deterrent. It's not something we wanna do. And my hope is that it could be incorporated into the restorative justice program. So if we actually have to do it, then it's education is the penalty. Thank you. Appreciate that, John. You're listening to a replay of the virtual community COVID-19 response town hall hosted by EVPLA with partners from campus and community entities. KCSB-FM, Santa Barbara.
wanted to move on to invite uh, Spencer Brent, president of the Isla Vista Community Services District, to, to take the mic next. Thank you, Maricela, and thank you so much, Yasmin and the EDPLA's office for organizing uh, this great town hall. I think all of these discussions are really important to be having right now. Uh, so I'm the president of the Isla Vista Community Services District. Uh, I live on Sabado, I'm one of your neighbors, um, and we are a local government agency that services specifically the area of Isla Vista. So not the areas on campus or uh, UCSB owned housing, um, but uh, the area of the Isla Vista box. And um, I can tell you that uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has been a huge challenge for us as a community to weather, but I am really proud of uh, what we've been able to do so far. Um, in April of this year, um, we uh, declared a state of emergency very early on um, to really try and raise awareness. As many remember, um, the uh, transition at the very beginning of this pandemic um, into the stay-at-home order and the new life that we all know today uh, was a little bit gradual and it was really our goal to try and educate the community as much as possible about the harmful effects of this virus and the fact that uh, it can affect people who are young. Um, I have friends, I have neighbors that have gotten sick from COVID-19, uh, some of whom have had to have been hospitalized. Unfortunately, in Isla Vista, we have experienced death in our community as a result of COVID-19. So uh, this disease is here, it is deadly, and although many of us may not become very sick with it, we are all capable of spreading it to those who are more vulnerable. And it's for that reason that we wanna take this incredibly seriously. Um, so a lot of our role as an organization uh, has been a lot of the things uh, that have been mentioned thus far, helping to coordinate uh, as uh, evidenced by the fact that we've got so many panelists here today. Um, we've got a lot of cooks in the kitchen per se, uh, a lot of stakeholders that wanna try and improve the situation in Isla Vista. And so one of our main roles has been coordinating some of that response that was spoken about in regards to the uh, sort of discipline aspect of violations of the public health officer order, uh, specifically when it comes to parties that are happening in Isla Vista. Um, and so it's been mentioned, I think, um, that some of the disciplinary action that has been taken is uh, some residents have had their leases terminated. Others have been sent cease and desist letters by their property management companies. Um, so I think the message is clear that violations of the public health officer order will be taken seriously at all levels. Thank you, Spencer. Now, thanks. I have a question for you. The question is, will the CSD be seeking any new resources from the county for Isla Vista due to COVID-19? That's a great question. Uh, I, so I think um, one thing um, to mention is that uh, our board specifically has allocated money uh, as it comes to homeless outreach. Uh, we know COVID-19 is not just a health crisis, it's also a financial crisis and incidents of uh, homelessness, people experiencing homelessness, uh, or the perception of an increase is on the rise right now. And so we're really trying to do what we can to put resources at the table to make sure that that outreach uh, work when it comes to getting folks housed and getting folks the resources that they need help and otherwise are uh, on the table. We've also been working really closely with Supervisor Hartman's office and uh, other levels of county government to try and make sure that 
there is an appropriate education and uh, when necessary um, sort of disciplinary response to violations of the health officer order. And uh, one of the things that uh, I think I really appreciate that I've heard loud and clear from so many people in the community is that when it comes to response to large social gatherings that are happening, it is not necessarily appropriate for us to have law enforcement agents as that uh, first responders to uh, uh, violations of that nature. And so um, I think we're all working to try and see how we can uh, respond in a way that's appropriate right now, given that. Thank you, appreciate that. I wanna invite Suzanne Grimsey, Chief Quality Care and Strategy Officer, Behavioral Wellness in the County of Santa Barbara. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation to join. This is, um, I feel really glad to be a part of this forum. And I feel glad that Supervisor Hartman was able to go ahead of me and share some of the broader brush role that the county has with respect to COVID. So I'll share a little bit from my neck of the woods and I'm happy to answer any questions as well. So I work with the Department of Behavioral Wellness um, when there's not something bad happening, but when our emergency operations center activates, then I come here and I help. And I primarily work in the role of leading communications and then toggling that with our mental health response. So I wanna talk a little bit from that end. So in regards to communications, public health is the lead, but the county works, as you already heard described, as a collective team with the overall operations, working to assure as very best we can timely and accurate communication efforts with regards to COVID-19. Communications are provided on, on so many different things, on the state and local guidance, on public health and safety, on the health officer orders and the many changes on businesses opening and closures, and now the importance of everyone getting the flu vaccine on top of getting tested for COVID. The aim is to get information out as broadly as we possibly can and on a variety of platforms such as TV, radio, uh, print and online news, social media, press conferences, board of supervisor hearings, signage, in-person. You heard a little bit about the ambassadors, so a way to do the in-person outreach as well. Um, but I want to also talk a little bit about the targeted efforts unique to Isla Vista. So anytime there's a large um, number of positive people that have tested positive within any one area, then there's an attention to targeted outreach efforts that occur. So Isla Vista has fallen under that, as I think you're all aware. And the county will look at a combination of data, but also stakeholder input to really understand why the cases have, there's more testing of positive cases in any one area. So within Isla Vista, we've worked um, collaboratively, if you've already heard, as you've already heard described, to really try and understand from the perspective of the community there, what's happening, what needs to happen differently, what can we do to better our efforts of people getting tested and to prevent the spread. Um, making testing as accessible as possible. You heard Supervisor Hartman speak to um, testing taking place in Isla Vista, but right now it's moved over to Goleta, so even a little closer to the Isla Vista community from where it was at Earl Warren. Recently got a huge batch of yard signs for the Protect and Respect campaign, as well as I think like a thousand masks to the Community Services District to get out in the community. And I think 
what I'd say that you can expect to see is ongoing communication with the stakeholders. So UCSB, Santa Barbara City College, the Isla Vista Community Services District students, because all of you know best what the Isla Vista community needs and doesn't need and what will or won't be the most helpful. So it's been really neat to hear all of the ideas and the work that's already taking place. So as far as communications, the county sees its role to continue to support the existing efforts um, or help to support any new efforts in any way, any way possible at all. And I have a question for you, if you could please define for our audience who the RISE ambassadors are or will be and their role in Isla Vista specifically. Yep, happy to. So several months ago, when businesses were just starting to be allowed to reopen and needed to complete the attestation process, we started the RISE Ambassador Program. It started with about 20, 25 volunteer members um, from behavioral health agencies within the community. And we also had some peers in the Isla Vista area that went out to many of the businesses there, if not all, and were extremely effective. And their role began primarily to help businesses to complete their attestations to reopen safely and to provide any supports that were necessary to help that. Well, what we thought would be a two-week program went on and lasted several months. So these volunteer ambassadors hadn't, hadn't signed up for that and we started to lose some of the bandwidth. So the county has now hired a program lead and is hiring ambassadors um, in that same function to be available in Isla Vista. Um, but not just to be helping the businesses, but also to help with things like uh, promoting messaging on mask wearing and all the other messages that will be going out. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. This is KCSB 91.9 FM. And next, I'd like to invite Sabina Menshausen, our Vice Chair for the Associated Students Isla Vista Tenant Union, and speaking on behalf of them and the Legal Resource Center. Sabina? Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for having me. My name is Sabita Menshausen. I'm a fifth year student at UCSB. I'm here today on behalf of UCSB's Associated Students Legal Resource Center, in which I serve as the student unit director, as well as the Isla Vista Tenants Union, in which I serve as the vice chair. Um, after I present in the chat, I'm going to go ahead and put links to our website in the, the chat box for anyone who's interested. In March, the Legal Resource Center shifted all consultation uh, services to an online platform. Um, a link to book these appointments can be found on our website and later in the chat box. These free services are available to all UCSB students Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. and can be conducted via Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, or over the phone. We can offer information and support on a variety of issues, including citations, restraining orders, vehicle accidents, immigration issues, and landlord-tenant questions. Thus far, we've had over 600 remote appointments. In the upcoming months, we plan to increase our outreach on social media to better inform students of the availability of our remote services. Over at the Isla Vista Tenants Union, we've also shifted all of our consultation services to an online platform, and this uses the same booking link as the Legal Resource Center. These free appointments are available to all members of the Isla Vista community. We can offer information and support on landlord-tenant issues, including lease questions, habitability, evictions, roommate problems, and security deposit disputes. These appointments are Monday through Thursday, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. In March, the Isla Vista Tenants Union launched a COVID-19 emergency fund for UCSB students. Although it is now closed as of September 1st, we awarded 107 applicants with over $26,000 for unexpected relocation costs due to COVID. 
We also created a COVID-19 resource guide on our website that contains information about financial relief, unemployment, evictions, and more. And we will continue to update that as we learn of uh, new things. Lastly, we at Isla Vista Tenants Union have launched an educational campaign on social media where we share information and resources regarding tenancy and how it is affected by COVID-19, especially in Isla Vista. And in the upcoming months, we plan to continue our online educational campaign efforts to keep tenants as informed and updated as possible. Thank you. Yasmin, would you mind asking the next question, please? Yes. Um, Sabina, we had a follow-up question for you. How is IBTU working with property managers and how is the LRC helping out with that effort? Do you mean in regards to COVID-19? Yeah. Like potential violations and things like that? Yes. So um, recently we learned that um, two major companies in Isla Vista are um, going through with evictions and working to make sure that there are legitimate consequences for students who are breaking the protocols. Um, students that run into issues can obviously come into LRC or IVTU to get better guidance. Um, but more or less, it's up to the discretion of the landlords. But I think it's excellent that some of the bigger companies are setting a good example and kind of setting the tone for making sure that we're all collectively responsible for keeping our community safe. Thank you very much for that. And I want to uh, uh, share the mic with uh, Yasmin herself uh, to share with us on behalf of the ex as um, behalf of her office the external vice president for local affairs for associated students. Hi everyone again thank you all for coming my office in collaboration with other exec offices last year and this year has started a mass distribution and a thermometer distribution project that we've been doing since the beginning of summer uh, we've distributed close to 3,000 masks. Uh, we're using Portal Center, Ivy Neighborhood uh, Clinic, and the co-op as our distribution points. And we are also placing them at nine different businesses around IV, so anyone can have access to them uh, in case that they need to access a business and they don't have a mask to go in. Uh, for our thermometer distribution plans, we're also distributing those at Portal Center uh, and the co-op and Ivy Neighborhood Clinic. We ordered about 10,000 of them. We haven't, we haven't been able to distribute as many as we'd like because the university imposed a COVID training on all university employees. So once we all go through that, we're going to distri uh, start distributing them through Pardal Center again. But we're also distributing those to uh, new students at um, res halls and the off-campus um, campus, off -campus housings provided to um, freshmen and transfer students. And our office is also looking into adding hand washing stations in IV and on campus. Thank you. And you've covered the question that I had as a follow-up in terms of how many you all have distributed. So if it's okay, I'm gonna go on to the next panelist. Yes. All right. All right. Our next panelist, Melissa Cohen, general manager for Isla Vista Cooperative. Hi everyone, thank you so much for inviting the co-op to participate on the panel. This has been super interesting and so important to see it all consolidated. So I'm not speaking on behalf of all businesses, but I can definitely offer a little snapshot into what it's like to run a business, a grocery store during COVID. Um, first and foremost, the co-op is a community-owned grocery store. We are a small business. We are not a big, giant corporate supermarket. So everything that's happened has had a significant impact on our ability to be profitable, and to keep paying our workers as well as we would like to. 
So the minute that this all happened, we turned the key on hazard pay. You've probably heard that term around town. We are paying our workers $2 an hour above base pay because we know that they're out in the front lines. And as Isla Vista has been a hotspot and consistently has been, we don't have the intention to change this hazard pay. Uh, the health order, you heard about health orders a minute ago, has required us to close all of our high-touch areas. That includes all of our bulk bins, and most recently, unfortunately, even our water machine, because you have to touch a button. What has that done to us? It has hemorrhaged our labor budgets and made it really, really difficult to plan for what to do because we don't know what's coming next. We require masks to enter, and as you heard, we're also a mask distribution site, so we're making it easy for you. If you have to wear a mask, we're gonna give you one. We're also paying for surgical masks. Those are 35 cents each. That wasn't in the budget when we started. Right now, the co-op has spent double what I budgeted for store supplies this year, since COVID has added so much to our bottom line. Again, this is all how you as the community can really start to help us. As we move from purple into red, hopefully, that means that our business can actually function in a way that is economically sustainable so that we can keep doing our good work for the community. Um, we're the, one of the only grocery stores that requires hand sanitizer to come in. We're providing you a hand sanitizer. We've actually seeked out the cleanest possible. It has four ingredients. It has alcohol based. We got rid of all the scents, all the weirdness. We're really trying to be even inclusive for people with allergies to hand sanitizer. Um, for students returning, we spent many years getting y'all to come here in mass amounts and shop the co-op. Guess what? COVID has made us have to dismantle all of that good work because we can only allow 10 people in at a time right now. It's a tiny store. The co-op fills up quickly. Sometimes you guys come in groups of 10 all at once and we have to say, please stop. We can only let in two people at one time. So it's changed every which way that we run our business. We are asking for support from our community to keep up with these guidelines because you don't realize that your actions are actually supporting small businesses like ours to be able to stay fiscally viable. We can't keep running the co-op on this level because we can't afford to, unfortunately. We've made it run through this fiscal year. For us, our new fiscal year starts next week at the same time that UCSB is starting classes, and we don't even know what our customer base looks like right now. So we're in a really interesting place in Isla Vista as a business people because things that we have relied on for so many years, including what we know with our student community, we don't get to rely on that anymore. And we also have to adhere to all of the health mandates. And so that costs more resources. And so we want to be able to work with our community to keep giving out our donations and supporting your programs, even if virtually, but it's getting harder the longer that we're sitting here in the, in the purple and unable to move forward to do things like let our water machine open again. We're paying a worker to stand there and push your button for you. We all know that it's ridiculous. <laughs> You're here too with us. Um, and I guess one final thing is we did start curbside shopping also. So we are paying for that resource to keep up for our most vulnerable in the community. And so you can order from the co-op online now as of March. And that was directly to support folks that really, really, really need that space to be held to be safe and healthy. And so that is something we're going to keep on rolling forward. And we're grateful that we've had this chance to like prove how much you can do in a small business within six months to make it happen. But gosh, we would love to get to that next tier so that we can make some changes to make it a little easier to do this. And we appreciate everybody's support, especially as you're moving back. Um, it's hard for us also. We're very tired. We've been at this since March. Like everybody on this call, we didn't get that summer vacation. You know, our summer vacation was a lot of figuring out how to do COVID, just like everybody on this call. So we are very grateful for patience and support right now. Is that two minutes? <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. A little over, and you actually covered 
covered the question that we were going to ask. So we're, go. we're, Great. we're good. <laughs> You're clairvoyant. I'm next going to invite uh, Claudia Govea to join us. She's an Isla Vista community member and staff member at People Self-Help Housing. Claudia? Hello, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come into this be a panelist. And as you mentioned, I'm my name is Claudia Govea. I am a community member. I've been living there for eight years. Um, and I uh, work with uh, families that are mainly Spanish speakers with people self-help housing. Um, and um, I work in the ed department. So what we provide is not just housing. We also provide uh, learning centers for K through um, high school. And at the time, we are not, we, we do not have our sites open. However, we are working remotely just like everyone else. Um, and um, it's been very difficult trying to inform the families, especially in the IV community. Um, not only um, students live there, but we also have uh, Spanish speakers, speaking families that are low income that really need this, these, all these uh, resources as far as inform, informing them uh, in their own language. And so that's, uh, I would like to, you know, just focus on that um, as well and let you guys know that we are, we are families that are there and, um, you know, we do need these resources. Um, and if I can be in any help, please let me know how I can and, um, you know, be that voice for them and, uh, you know, collaborate together. The other, the other thing is that we, uh, I do see a lot of the, um, you know, uh, students walking around without masks and stuff like that, um, not being very uh, safe uh, as far as what they're doing. So, and all of our sites that, uh, or actually the site that we have in IV, um, I, we, I know property managers have informed all the residents that they must wear masks even coming out of their property. Um, and they're following those protocols, um, laundry, keeping social distancing, and um, for everyone's safety. Um, so um, again, I'm here to represent the IV families that live in our IV community. And um, thank you again for inviting me and please feel free to reach out. Thank you, Claudia. I have a one follow-up question for you. Can we? How can we support the Isla Vista local families better? And I know that the we is multi-agency and university and et cetera. But in general, is there? It might there be one 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 ask? Is it is it to invite folks to use masks more? Would that be the 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 one the one thing that we could do to support families better? I feel yes, um, wear more masks and educate them. Um, maybe have uh, you know more uh, some webinars um, as far as you know informing them in their own language. Um, uh, we are doing that on our site as well, um, and so yes, uh, giving them that that um, that support. Wonderful, thank you very much. And I want want to next invite Grace Aldrich if she can hear me. She was going to speak with us and share, or or Lisa to speak and share about the survey, KCSB survey. Hello. First, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on. My name is Grace Aldrich, and I report on COVID-19 in Isla Vista for KCSB News. Um, recently, I created a survey in order for me to best understand the current climate of COVID-19 in Isla Vista and within the UC Santa Barbara community. 
We currently have 100 students, um, incoming freshmen and transfer, uh, alumni even have responded. So this kind of represents what, who were part of the survey, or who responded. Um, so first I wanted to really focus on our many Isla Vista residents currently have voice that they do feel unsafe due to the lack of awareness and social distancing measures um, that other individuals in the community are demonstrating. So here's another little chart that I got from the survey. So um, over here, 39 uh, people, this is the most unsafe. Um, and this is a feel pretty much the same, but as you can see that there are a lot of students that do feel unsafe in Isla Vista in regards to COVID-19. Um, and many of the survey respondents uh, indicated that they were staying in Isla Vista due to rent and lease agreements that were previously signed. They were unable to return home due to unstable relationships with their family or the fear of putting family's health at risk. However, something that was interesting is many of the respondents to the survey do value social distancing. So here is a chart, five being I really do value social distancing and it is super important. So many of the Isla Vista residents and those who respond to the survey are very much pro social distancing and they are upset with the current lack of health and, health and safety compliance in Isla Vista. One key finding of the survey that is very um, interesting is that 78% of the students that live with housemates have discussed rules and guidelines for how they will help protect each other from being exposed to COVID-19. However, only 50% have a plan to isolate or quarantine if they come in contact with a confirmed case or become infected. Lastly, I was curious to see how the COVID-19 pandemic had taken a toll on their mental and emotional well-being. Here, as you can see, many people were affected um, with their emotional well-being. So I, over the last few days, I've had the opportunity to interview some of the respondents, which will be airing on KCSB's Inside Isla Vista radio show this month, um, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. on 91.9 FM and streaming at kcsb.org. Um, and here we were able to provide them with the space to share their personal stories, opinions, and beliefs regarding the COVID-19 pandemic in Isla Vista and UCSB community. And thank you so much. Thank you very much. You're listening to a replay of the virtual community COVID-19 response town hall hosted by EVPLA with partners from campus and community entities. That's our KCSB News reporter, Grace Aldridge, presenting findings from our KCSB News COVID in Isla Vista survey. We are preempting Inside Isla Vista tonight in order to bring you audience questions from the town hall. Inside Isla Vista will return next week at 5 p.m. Maricela Marquez is Executive Director of Associated Students at UCSB. I'm going to be switching now to live questions from the audience and um, wanted to remind us all that we're going to ask a, a live question and then I'm going to ask a question on behalf of an audience, audience member that did not feel comfortable asking it themselves. So Yasmin or, or Diana, who, who should we invite next? I'm unmuting Eric as first to ask his question. Okay. You can go ahead, Eric. Hi. So my question is, what are the holdups exactly for mass testing and IV? Is it financial, like resources, or because you said we're working with labs. I'm just curious about that. That's my first question. 
Joan, I think maybe you had addressed it earlier. Would you like to address that? Right. We're still working out all the details, but we are planning to get testing very soon. And I'm hesitant to get ahead of uh, where we are, but uh, we do have a commitment. There will be testing. And as soon as we can get it all pieced together, it requires some coordination across different um, entities and stakeholders. And so I don't want to uh, get out ahead of them. But it's, it's, as everybody has said, it's absolutely critical to tracking the um, community spread. We need the testing, and so uh, we need it in IV, and it's coming. Wonderful. Thank you very much. The next question, um, I, I believe it might be most appropriate for Suzanne. Um, is, is there any way to report how many households have active cases of COVID rather than, an individual, rather than individual active cases in the community? to see if individuals who test positive are reported from the same address in Isla Vista. Public health, through their contact tracing, is able to make those determinations and has that information. Thank you. Yasmin? I believe a follow-up on that was, would that be publicized to uh, community members, whether the positive cases are coming from households or if it's from unique cases in IV? Yeah, so the, I, public health wouldn't be able to, due to HIPAA and the privacy of people, um, give that type of information. But what they can share is um, how the transmission mostly is taking place in a certain area. So, for example, we know through the contact tracing, as somebody else had shared, that it's taking place mostly through gatherings, um, both indoor and outdoor. But I'll, I'll take that information back to public health and give them the feedback. Thank you. Do we have another uh, live question? Yes, um, Joyce, I'm unmuting you right now. Okay, so my question also has to do with testing. What I wondered was, uh, you had mentioned that, that it's going through FDA approval and it's within the next couple of months. If, does that plan to be, what does that timeline look like for dorms opening up in the winter? Because I think that that would be key. And then a follow-up question to that also is that, why was this testing the testing that needed was that not um we didn't realize that before the quarter would start the school year would start i guess i'm wondering why is that going on so late this vamping up of, of testing that's an excellent question this is laura polito um that's that's an excellent question the truth is is that the technology has been validated for several months and it has been at the fda for several months yeah, so so the truth is is that we've been kind of playing this waiting game. I'm I'm sure as you know, there's a lot of different tests that are being um, considered for FDA EUA. Um, so we are waiting our our turn in line. Um, some of the other. Uh, some of the other issues that we've run into, um, there's very strict regulations that, um, and not to get into too many details, but let's get into a couple details. Um, there's a lot of really strict regulations around things like labs that are used to diagnose a disease. They're called CLIA regulations. Um, in order to set up a CLIA lab, we actually have to have all of our equipment in place and um, to get CLIA certification. And interestingly enough, for a long time, we were waiting for a refrigerator. The entire nation is remodeling their houses. Um, and so we were waiting for refrigerators. There's just sort of been this cascade of, of different um, challenges that we've had. But we are definitely looking forward to getting things um, up and running. Um, and trust me, when things start to happen, they happen extraordinarily quickly. Um, 
as we get our testing ramped up, we do hope to test more and more people, but how, how that relates to um, what we can do uh, for housing in the winter quarter is really a lot more complicated question um, that really involves the prevalence of the um, of the disease in the community and uh, and various different things. Um, so uh, so unfortunately, we really can't make a call on that yet. Um, Margaret, any other thoughts on winter quarter? I think that's pretty complete, Laura. Just that we're monitoring, watching, trying to make sure we have all the pieces in place that we can control, and then looking to see how things have gone over the fall quarter. So just to, to reiterate for that FDA then, that so unless we get the FDA approval, to have that mass testing is really not going to be in place. Not necessarily, because we do um, are we are of course looking for um, for other uh, places to, to do testing, like commercial labs and that kind of thing, um, just because we do need to have different, different places to test. So no, no, it's all the eggs are not in that basket. Okay. Okay, so I wanted to move us on to the next uh, question that was submitted, but submitted to us by an audience member. Uh, and it reads, a number of people are now, are now having to take weekly COVID tests. This feels like a lot of people. What safety efforts will be made to ensure limited contact between those people being tested, clean services, cleaned surfaces between appointments, et cetera? That sounds like a student health question. Yeah, that, that sounds like that's me again. So um, I'm glad you asked. Today was actually our first day doing that. And you're right, it is a lot of people. Um, we luckily do have some experience running um, large amounts of people through something like this, like through a flu shot clinic, et cetera. Um, we do have very strict infection control procedures. Um, everything is scrubbed down between each person with 70% alcohol. All of the personnel is um, in full personal protective equipment, and the rooms are well ventilated with good um, with good cross ventilation. Um, we did have about 300 people that were tested today. The average person was in there less than three minutes. Um, the outlier apparently was somebody who was in there for three minutes and 30 seconds because they were having trouble with their with their phone appointment. Um, so uh, things are moving through very quickly, but there's a lot of cleaning going on um, and lots of conf infection control measures. Thank you. Yasmin? Ian, you can go ahead. Hi, thank you. Uh, yeah, I had a, uh, just a small concern about the latest changes at UCSB. I feel like there's been a lack of communication on the, the changes to first doing these, these new tests and also the, the daily surveys which I understand why they should be done. I just, we weren't really communicated to about it and who should do it and uh, also what the consequences of not doing that are. That sounds like a protocol, our UCSB protocol. Uh, Margaret, did you want to reply? Well, yeah, it's probably between Laura and me, but I want to clarify who, who are you? Are you talking about the symptom screen for essential workers and staff who are on campus or are you talking about students in the residence hall, I need to know what population you're thinking about. Yeah, so specifically, I'm in family student housing. So specifically, I'm talking about the asymptomatic testing that's going on right now. Okay. Um, so, Laura, I don't know if you can help me with this, but um, the idea is for students who are in housing, staff coming to campus, any students in in-person classes, 
basically anybody on campus or coming to campus needs to do the daily symptom screen. And um, I, I understand why you feel that you haven't had enough lead time on the communication. I think everybody's been trying to get the protocol up and running. So um, that, that, I don't know what else to say about that, Laura, unless there's anything that you can add on that. Yeah, I mean, Ian, Ian does bring up a good point. There are, there have honestly only been two communications about it and both of, the, both of them have been very recent. Um, part of that is connected to the fact that we didn't really know, our testing capacity ramped up so quickly in the last couple of weeks that we didn't really know um, how many people we were going to be able to test with the goal of testing absolutely everybody who would be present on campus, whether it's in campus housing or in an in-person class or in a research lab. Um, and we did finally hit that point late last week. And so there was one communication a couple weeks ago and then one late last week. So, um, so I do apologize for that, Ian, you're right, um, that uh, the communication was late. It's, um, I'm starting to look at everything, not in regular time, but in COVID time. So in COVID time, two weeks feels like an eternity. So you're right, it was the last couple of weeks. Um, but that will be the consistent uh, policy throughout the quarter going forwards. Yeah, can you just uh, specify what the consequences are for people who don't do it, just so that, that we know that people are actually going to, to do these tests and to fill out these daily surveys? So for the daily surveys, you actually will not be able to, um, to go to any on-campus um, building anywhere if, if you don't fill out the survey. Um, honestly, if you don't fill out the survey and you never leave your house, no, we're not going to come knocking on your door. Um, but I am encouraging everybody to remember that, um, you know, we're, we're all doing this uh, for the protection of each other um, and that it's really within everybody's best interest to do the survey and the testing. Thank you very much. I have a question for, for the panelists. How long can we expect to wait before getting our results after getting an on-campus COVID test? What's the test's accuracy? Again, that's a question for, for Laura. So our test accuracy um, is, is getting in better and better over time. We're, we're looking at um, the, we look at it in terms of how sensitive is it, which means how likely is it to pick up the disease if you have it. Um, it's about 70 to 80% sensitive, which means if, if you have it, it'll pick it up that percentage of the time. For specificity, that's if it says you have it, what's the chances that you actually do have it? That's about 99.9% .9 specificity. So, um, so that's really good. If it says you're positive, you're, you're positive. Um, the turnaround time um, is extraordinarily variable, unfortunately, um, because it all has to do, uh, we, we work with national labs and it all has to do with the volume at the national lab. So we're aiming for about a 24 to 36 hour turnaround. And the majority of the time we do hit that goal. Um, but then unfortunately, sometimes um, we hear back from the lab and they say, oh, we're, we're up to three to four days now because we got you know, an outbreak in a certain area of the country or they're focusing on the nursing homes and the emergency rooms. And so it does tend to be a little bit variable. Um, but that's another reason why we would like to bring that on campus and have more control of that here. Wonderful. Thank you. You are tuned in to KCSBFM Santa Barbara. Yasmin, a live question? We have Marina. Go ahead, Marina. Hi. I wanted to ask, uh, shared some of the um, protocols going on at UCSB with my mom, who happens to be a nurse working in a, in a hospital at this time. 
And um, she was sharing with me that in her, in her professional opinion, she asked me if these um, guidelines that UCSD is putting in, into effect is uh, in accordance with CDC guidelines, as well as with the County of um, Public Health for Santa Barbara guidelines. The reason she was asking me this was because uh, her as a nurse working in a hospital where, you know, she's potentially exposed being in a hospital, all staff members at her hospital are only being tested once a month at random. So when she saw that we were going to be tested weekly, uh, those of us who live in UCSB family housing or any housing of that kind, she thought that that might be a little excessive. And also not, not only that it might be a little excessive, but that it actually might, given that it's a um, nose swab happening once a week, that it might actually irritate the nose, uh, the nasal cavity, and uh, it, that might make the, you more prone to infection in the nasal cavity. This was just something that I wanted to ask um, if this is being considered, um, because that was something that, that did concern me as well. I also wanted to say um, I accidentally one day um, was swiping through the questions real quick, answering the daily screening questions. By accident, I said I had one of the symptoms and, and I was flagged for isolation. I couldn't go back to change the survey questions. I understand why. Um, I got called the next day by uh, someone at Student Health to check in on my symptoms, which was great. And I have no problem with that. I just want to say that um, I went in to go into Student Health online and I tried to change my um, incorrect answer. And in doing so, I saw that um, there was a picture of myself, my student ID picture, flagged in red, in all in red, with the words in all caps, isolation. That to me sounds, feels a little criminalizing. Um, <laughs> I understand why you're doing it for effect. You want to capture attention. Some people are not taking it seriously, but I, I just wanted to share that as well. It felt a little criminalizing. Thank you. I, I'm wondering if Laura, you'd like to comment? Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. And, and Marina, that's excellent feedback. Um, thank you for that. So um, I apologize for it, the, the fact that it comes across as punitive. It's, it's not meant to be that way at all. Um, what you saw with the big isolated across of it is actually known as your badge that is given. And if you go in now, you'll probably find a green badge that says cleared also with your picture on it and with the date. The reason for those is because as things ramp up and if we do get to the point where we can do more and more stuff in person, you probably at some point will be asked definitely when you try to come into student health, you will be asked to show your badge. Um, are you somebody who has been cleared that day? Are you somebody who um, is in isolation for um, having symptoms? Are you in quarantine for having been exposed? And the reason for this is because um, we're trying to keep the sick people away from the well people. Um, and that's really kind of the whole goal of all of this. It, it is true that you cannot go back on the survey and redo it. Um, the situation you described is absolutely the most common situation we get for people calling us and saying, hey, I need to reset my survey. Um, so we do that. The, the staff does it on their survey. Um, I, I sort of jokingly refer to it as fat fingering the survey because I've done that. Um, I've just gone through and clicked the wrong button. And then I'm the one on the phone with my nurses going, please reset my survey. So, um, so it does happen. Um, and, and I apologize for that. But let's, let's address the, the testing issue. So um, we have been working um, for many months now with the entire UC system 
where there's a tremendous amount of research going on, particularly at the medical centers. Um, so we are in touch weekly um, with what's known as the Testing and Tracing Task Force um, in, with the entire UC system. And we're working with researchers from San Diego and from San Francisco and from Berkeley, both at the medical centers and in the public health schools. And all of the data is really showing at this point that um, in the outpatient setting, um, which is a little bit different than the hospital setting, um, but in the outpatient setting where the, the transmission tends to be with people who either have no symptoms or have mild symptoms, and those people can really sp spread it quite a long way, and we don't really know how to differentiate who's going to be a super spreader and who's not. The absolute most effective way to, to interfere with transmission of this disease is very, very frequent testing. In fact, there was a really interesting study from Yale um, about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago now, that actually recommended if you really want to get a hold of this pandemic in a college setting, every other day testing of the entire population was recommended. Um, I saw Suzanne just raised her eyebrows like, wow, yeah. So um, I don't know any college that's actually doing that. But, uh, that. but that's absolutely right, because then you can catch every case before it's transmitted. Um, I would love to be able to do that, but logistically, that's just, it's not possible to do. Um, the test itself is a Q-tip. Um, it's a cotton swab. It's very gentle on the nose. Um, it is not the most comfortable test, but it's not doing damage to the, um, to the nasal mucosa. Um, you're really just sampling um, the mucus and the virus. So overall, it's a very, very safe test. But you brought up excellent questions. Thank you for asking. Thank you very much. I, so the next question I have from an audience member is, I have seen conflicting information about the state of the UCSD library due to COVID. Could we get some clarification? Um, wondering if Katya or, or Margaret, you might wanna, want to respond to that question? I think I can give a basic answer. So the UCSB library right now is open for pickup of materials. There's an online form that you can submit and um, you can request materials that you get a notification when you can pick them up. There's a curbside pickup. So um, that's what the library is offering uh, right now. I think there may also be some access to special collections for researchers who need that, but it's mostly for most people, it's curbside pickup. Thank you. And I, I just real quickly want to add, they have a bunch of virtual programs going on too. So add them to the list of, especially for new students to really get to know the library and they have virtual tours and they're doing even some fun activities. So you can still interact with the library as well as ask li research librarians to help you with work. Thank you. I appreciate that. I have another question uh, that was posed to us for you all. Question is, do you have to have UC SHIP health insurance for the COVID test to be free? That sounds like a student health question. So all of the COVID testing for people who are uh, symptomatic contacts or in the screening program, um, all of that cost is being absorbed by the university. So you do not have to have UC SHIP. Um, the only ones that are not being covered, um, and actually nobody will cover them, including UC SHIP, are the asymptomatic administrative tests. So unfortunately, if you need it to say climb on a plane flight or something like that, um, those are not being covered. 
Okay. So Laura, I just want to do a plug for the flu shot clinic. Oh, well. please do. Yes. Because um, so to prevent uh, folks within our community getting the seasonal flu, which could easily overwhelm the medical resources in our area, we are trying to get as many students, faculty, staff at UC Santa Barbara to get their flu vaccine this winter or this season. And we're offering the flu vaccine clinic starting September 30th, so this Wednesday until October 7th, every weekday at the rec center. Very easy to sign up and get an appointment. And if you do not have insurance, the flu vaccine will be covered by the university. If you have insurance, it's no charge at the visit. They will bill your insurance. Any other details I should add, Laura? No, that's awesome. But also, I did want to um, to give a plug for the the county testing sites as well. I know that originally the the waits and the turnaround time were extensive. They are much much better than they were, and there is testing now at the Goleta um, Community Center as well, so it's closer to campus. Um, so I wanted to give a plug for them as well. That is also um, no charge. Um, and actually, Suzanne may be able to correct me if I'm wrong about this. They will charge your insurance if you have insurance, but it's no charge if you're uninsured, correct? Correct. Okay, yeah. Thank you, and this is a, another question for University uh, at UCSB, uh, University Administration. Has there been any talk about what will happen in regards to university housing slash classes for winter quarter? We have, we've asked this in a couple of different ways, but do y'all wanna try another response? I think we're, we're hoping and planning to be prepared for the hybrid operation, which is that most instruction would be remote except for small classes, but we would hope to have more uh, capacity in our residence halls and to have more of our population on campus. And that's what we're trying for. We have definitely heard the messages and apologies for uh, communication that has not been ideal and decisions that feel like they've been delayed. It's been a very dynamic environment for decision making. We've been watching carefully the other colleges and universities and then watching our own community and our own county. Thank you. The next question is um, anyone who would like to respond. I, I believe it's a UCSB question as well. Is there a, is there a contact tracing app that UCSB will have for their students to use on their phones, which will alert them if they've come into contact with someone who tested positive. Other universities have this type of contact tracing app. They do, that's very true. So um, UC San Francisco, part of UC San Francisco and all of UC San Diego are going to be using the Apple Google app. Um, and they're actually doing a pilot program right now. And so we're all really anxiously awaiting the, uh, the results of that to see how that goes. Um, it is some really slick technology. Um, it is, um, it, it's private, it's non-invasive, um, but it allows you to really see if you were in a space where it was, um, where you may have been at higher risk of picking up COVID. We are not sadly a part of the pilot program, um, but we are hoping that that technology does get extended at some point. Um, we will keep you posted because um, it, it is it's slick technology. <laughs> Wonderful, thank you. Yasmin, I believe we have another a, a live question for us. Yes, uh, Ellen, go ahead. Hi, um, thank you so much. Uh, I'd just like to talk about and voice a concern about the homeless population by Embarcadero Hall right now. 
I think there's a problem with human waste. Personally, just like walking by, I've seen a lot of people like um, urinating and defecating like in the park and like not wearing masks and things like that. And um, I'm really concerned about it with COVID and like general sanitation in this park. And I'd like to understand like our plan of action and like to help our members and also like it just seems really unsafe right now. So I kind of like to know what we're doing and kind of what we'd like to do in the future, just because I know like it's not safe to be in a place where like that's going on and it's really concerning. And then just also like um, I was walking on the beach the other day and I was like walking up the stairs and then there was someone like literally under the stairs, just like their body was just there. And I don't know if they were like sleeping and I was just like, like this isn't safe for anyone. And I just like personally like to know what the county is doing and I think I heard something about like sanitation like stations but like I'm wondering if those are effective or kind of like what we can do maybe to just like like I don't know like I'm just really concerned. Thank you Ellen for that question. I'm going to invite Kimberly Kiefer who's general manager of Isla Vista Rec and Park. I'm not sure if you're still joint if you're available if you could join and perhaps uh, comment or respond to that question. Um, you should be able to speak Kimberly, uh, maybe someone from the county could respond until we figure this out. Sure, uh, I'll take that. Suzanne, did you have something to say too? Um, the, the first, first is that uh, it is an Ivy Reckon Park uh, jurisdiction, but we're all in this together. So they have developed a plan for how they will uh, maintain and do some uh, restoration and, uh, and development work in the parks and how they can work with the houseless population there. Um, we have a weekly Friday meeting bringing various stakeholders together and we're really working hard to find some alternatives. Uh, we, we're intensely reaching out to the houseless community and trying to get them document ready and trying to get them connected to services. Uh, and this is, you know, we want, we want to find this housing. Is TCSB so we, we have a couple of FM. options that are still in the works. TCSB I'm not FM, really free Santa to Barbara. talk about them, but this is an extremely high priority. And I don't know, I mean, Kimberly works about on Katia this every Armistead day with her staff. Assistant Vice Chancellor trying to and Dean figure of student out how we can balance Really, this is KCSB 91.9 FM. They haven't had before with, with public Spencer Brandt is president really, of the Isla Vista Community Services District. I don't care, Kimberly. On I'll just comment that um, the Department of Behavioral Wellness, where I work when I'm not at the Emergency Operations Center, we have a pretty robust homeless outreach team as well as a, a mobile crisis response team. And I know that that's an active part of the work that they do, not only responding when there's crisis that occur, but working to continue ongoing active engagement to try and help connect people um, to services, which as we know, has a huge place, huge role in finding housing is to have those services that accompany. Well, with that, I wanted to thank you all once again, panelists uh, for joining us. We're at 441 and I know that there are many, many more questions. I do wanna thank uh, behind the scenes, uh, Jackie Curta, Charlene O'Brien, Diana Collins Puente, and and of course Yasmin for for hosting this. This is not the last time we will all speak about this. We um, I, I believe that we one of the great takeaways is that we're all working together more closely, even though we are apart. And 
Yasmin, would you like to have the last word? Sure. Um, I just wanted to thank everyone again, all our audience members and all the panelists for taking the time to come on this town hall and share all the work that you've been doing in regards to COVID and really answering all, all of our questions. There's a lot of confusion out in the community. So I think this was a great way to debunk a lot of misinformation out there and also uh, let people know the resources available to them. I also wanted to thank Sean for helping me out with all the tech uh, related things. This wouldn't have happened without him. So thank you, everyone, again. Thank you. And thank have you. A good, thank good you. Good yes, thank, thank you. Great job. Sean Farmachev. Great job, everyone. Great job, everybody. See you soon. Bye. Bye. You're listening to a replay of Monday's virtual community COVID-19 response town hall hosted by EVPLA with partners from campus and community entities. Inside Isla Vista will return next week at 5 p.m. on 91.9 FM KCSB.